Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody, on this September the 2nd, the first Monday in September on Labor Day. For those of you that aren't working, how lovely for you. I don't feel like this is work either, and I am just delighted to have my guests on. I call them the dynamic duo, Angie and Ruth McCartney, and it's true, we met on the 4th of July when the earth was shaking that day, and we didn't even know about it at the time. We were too busy getting acquainted at the Westchester Elks Lodge, thanks to Lisa Schwab, a fellow Rotarian, for the intro when you said you're going to want Angie on your show, and man, was she right. So welcome to the show, Angie. Thank you very much. We're delighted to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled. And also your daughter, Ruth, is on the line as well. Welcome to the show, Ruth. Good afternoon. I was going to say good morning, but it's 1 o'clock, so um, happy happy non-Labor Day. It's it's quite ironic they call it Labor Day, and that's the one thing you're not supposed to do, isn't it? I know, but I this, I call this a labor of love, and all you need is love, right? And I will be you throwing go. that in and out. That would be a good title show. for a song, wouldn't it? You yeah, think? Yeah. Well, you know, might work. your <laughs> last name kind of sparks a little curiosity on some of us that are listening. So, Angie, that is kind of funny. I, I, I think I hear an accent. Could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Because McCartney is a name that many of us recognize. So tell us a little bit about your story, I will you I guess please? you do, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I was born in Liverpool, well, not Liverpool itself, but Merseyside in 1929. So, yes, I am that old. I'm almost 90. Mm-hmm. And I grew up on Merseyside, Liverpool mostly. And uh, World War II, of course, happened when we spent a lot of our lives in the air raid shelters. And then eventually... Uh, I got married to Eddie Williams. I have my daughter, Ruth, who will be how old was she? 1900 and frozen to death she'll be next February. And um, I was widowed when she was two. And then I met Jim McCartney, Paul's, stepdad, uh, Paul's father, Ruth's stepfather. I'm getting all confused now. In uh, mm-hmm. uh, 1964... And we got married in 1964, so that's how I acquired the name of McCartney. And Jim adopted Ruth and gave her his name, so she became Ruth McCartney. And that's how it all began. What a great story, because there's so much nostalgia for those of us that grew up during the British invasion. And I was searching through my albums and came across my Rubber Soul album that was released in 1965. I was in junior high. And then I came across records, 45. And then I came across cassettes. And then I came across CDs. And it was, I, I mean, I just could not get over the nostalgic feeling it felt 
to reminisce about those wonderful Beatle days, even though there was yes. this other band that was kind of challenging them that had that guy on it. But oh, you mean those uh, Rolling Stones guys? Oh, yes. Those <laughs> Everybody men. always but said they were uh, arch enemies, but they weren't. They were the best of friends. But, you know, but here's the interesting thing about that, Angie. As a teenager, it was sort of like you drove a Chevy or you drove a Ford. You like the Beatles right. or you like the Stones. the Stones, and and there yeah. was a divide, and it was it was very interesting. But that's them, okay. But uh, let's no. get Ruth on the line because Ruth, I would I would like you to share a little bit about yourself as well. You've got a pretty exciting mommy there, I must say. Uh, well, you know, I was uh, born in 1960 in Liverpool, and for for any scouts listening, you say where were you born? You say Walton, and the answer is well, yeah, Walton Hospital or Walton Jail because we have both. And um, at a very early age, uh, when I was two, my mum, Angie, was widowed. And so we would, you know, I grew up, she was living on five pounds a week, which was about $7 in those days, uh, with me. And that was the earnings rule. And we used to make toast in the uh, grill in the in the stove and warm our underwear and socks in the bottom in a, in a foil pan at the same time. So, grew, you know, grew up hand-to-mouth, but with lots of love and a great sense of humor, and then, of course, 1964 rolled around, and she came and said, well, we're going to go and meet this nice man called Uncle Jim, and we're going to move house, and you're going to have a garden to play in, and you're going to go to a new school. And so it was all very bewildering for me. Um, but, you know, I, kids are so adaptive, and I just took to it like a fish to water. I mean, who wouldn't, you know, moving from a little tiny one-bedroom council flat to a half an acre lush green garden and fresh air and flowers to pick and a greenhouse full of tomatoes and grapes and things like that. So I was very, very lucky uh, in in the fact that Jim McCartney apparently seemed to like me, adopted me, chose me, gave me his last name, went through all kinds of legal hoops and paperwork to make me a McCartney. So it's it's a name I take very seriously and wear very proudly because it was my dad's. You know, he, I mean, at that age, when you didn't know your own father... Um, he's the only dad I've ever known, and when he died in 1976, that was kind of um, the end of an era for me. I look at my life, and that's like the year dad, you know, so there's pre, pre-dad and post-dad. And um, he taught me a lot and gave me a lot of blessings, so I went on to do lots and lots of crazy things because he gave me the confidence. Even back then in the 60s as a girl child, as a female he was one of those champions of you can do it, you can do anything. You know, he's a great man. Wonderful. It's a beautiful story. And and sorry to hear that, uh, Angie, you um, lost two husbands. And mm-hmm. um, I've lost one. And I know what that what that means. And yes. um, you are you are you are remarkable. I just I do need oh. to say that. And well, I thought what we're we women, could do, we do what we have to do. We just you know. Paint a smile on and get up and do it. You don't get a choice, do you? No, of course you don't. Well, you can be a misery you... that nobody wants to be around, like my mum's first mother-in-law. <laughs> um, you would say to her, "How are you?" And she'd say, "Oh, well, today I'm not too bad today, but I'm, ex- you know, the flu's going around. I'm probably going to get very sick." <laughs> yeah, she even said to me once, "Oh, I, I feel fine today, but a week last Tuesday, I had this terrible pain in my left arm." <laughs> <laughs> you can be one of those. Well, you can be one of us. Somewhere else, right? <laughs> so, Angie, let's just take a look back in your in your extraordinary life. 
and and because music is something that's really important to me, at what age did it first become important to you? I would think probably when I was three or four years old. My mum and dad used to go to the theatre in Liverpool. They had music hall theatre. And when they'd come home about 9 or 10 o'clock at night, my father would come upstairs, evidently, get me out of bed, lay me on a pillow on his lap while he played the piano and tried to uh, remember the songs he'd heard in the shows. And my mother told me that he used to say, this little one may not be good-looking, but by God, she's going to like music. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> well, he was certainly wrong about one thing. That's well, we'll see. <laughs> that, 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 that's pretty funny. That, that's, that's really interesting. And, and Ruth, I mean, here you are. You, you, you're just a little girl. Um, your father, Jim, has adopted you. The Beatles are, are, have already been to the States. They've already been on Ed Sullivan at this point, I'm guessing. What was your first awareness of the Beatles, and, and how old were you? Well, so the Beatles did um, Ed Sullivan in February of 1964, and um, Mum and Dad, Aunt and Jim, met in August of that year. And, you know, don't forget, in England, we didn't know who Ed Sullivan was. A lot of people still don't. We didn't have the cultural mm-hmm. impact. You know, they've gone to America to be on the TV and do some concerts, was all we really knew about. Um, but when they came home, they were given the, the freedom of the city. And my cousin Geraldine, who still lives in England, is about three or four years older than me. And she had a little playhouse in the bottom of her garden that my Uncle Peter built out of scrap wood and old bits of glass and things. Was, we call them Wendy houses. I don't like a she shed, you know, but for a child. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. um, she had beetle wallpaper. And I remember saying to her, well, you know, who's that? What's that? And she said, oh, that. They're those, you know, guys, those fellas on the radio. And, you know, I, she liked George. I like George, whatever. And I'm like, well, how can you tell them apart? They all look the same because I was about three and a half or four. And then fast forward to, you know, one fateful November night when I was staying over in uh, Heswell at, at the, the house called Rembrandt that Paul had bought for his dad when he retired. And um, my mom came down and got me out of bed in my little pink, white spotted pajamas and she said come downstairs there's somebody I want you to meet so I'd been fast asleep in the in a nice dark room and of course come into the lights and my eyes are all screwed up and she's puts me on Paul's lap and I look at her and I look at him and the, the bell goes off and I thought oh hang on and much to everyone's embarrassment I, my first words to my soon-to-be new stepbrother were oh Wait a minute, I know you. You're on my cousin's wallpaper. <laughs> so he took it very graciously because, you know, by then he, he understood there were merchandising items and wallpaper was one of them. And immediately I pulled the side of, right side of my pajamas up and said, do you want to see my scar? I've just had my kidney out because I had 210 stitches and my whole body was practically a scar. And he said, oh, well, Ringo's got scars on his tummy. He's had his appendix out, and you should see Ringo's tummy, and blah, blah, blah. And we just, you know, hit it off. I was, he was 22, I was four, and we were just, you know, young people having a conversation. So once I got past the, oh, he's got his face on wallpaper, it was never really a big deal for me. I mean, it just Mm -hmm. wasn't. (laughs) That's, that's, That's a great story. I love the wallpaper stories. 
Mm-hmm. Angie, you mentioned um, at the top of the hour um, living through um, the air raids of World War II in mm. uh, Liverpool. I, I, I really I can't imagine that. I know that when I was a child, mm. just just speaking about myself, we had air raids that went off every Friday at 10 a.m. across the city to oh. prepare for the possibility oh, the of something that could happen. Yes, yes not air raids. It was a raids, warning, warnings, most yeah. definitely. I see. But you, my friend, had the real deal. I, I, just, oh, yeah. I can't imagine that. That must have been very frightening. Well, you know, like everything else in life, Marsha, you just got on with it. And, uh, yeah. you know, about 4 o'clock every afternoon, my sister, my older sister, May, would start packing up into a big tin box any food that she had. She'd make jam sandwiches or tomato sandwiches or whatever we had, which was very little and bottles of water, and take them into the air raid shelter, which was a a little corrugated tin thing in the back garden. God knows it wouldn't have protected us from anything. You know, if a seagull Mm -hmm. had dropped dead and fallen on the roof, it it would have caved in, I think. So why on earth they thought it would protect us from Hitler's bombs, the Lord only knows. But nevertheless, we'd get in there every night, and my other sister, Joan, who was five years older than me, Our first thought every night was, what have we got to eat? (laughs) And uh, it had a dirt floor, and we had candles (laughs) in candle holders. Can you imagine? And that's how we lit the thing. And my mother used to keep us all busy by doing multiplication tables, spelling bees, crossword puzzles. And that's where I think I developed my original liking of, uh, you know, writing and all things secretarial, which is what I sort of turned out to be as the years went by. And then when the uh, all clear would go about maybe seven in the morning, we'd sort of waken up, uh, go in the house, have a wash. Joan and I would go out hand in hand and walk around the district to see which houses had been bombed and look at these uh, smoking craters of, of bricks, you know, and the the smell still remains with me, the smell of burning buildings and wood and hmm. whatnot, you know. And uh, then I would come home. I had a, um, a news- newspaper round for four shillings a week. So I'd come home about sort of nine o'clock, go and deliver my newspapers and then go to school. And uh, I, I earned about four bob a week, I think it was, to pay for my piano lessons, which were very important in my life. And uh, And so it went on, you know. And by the time I got to be 11... Uh, we didn't go to school anymore, so my education really finished at 11, apart from Google, <laughs> which is keeping me going. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, the uh, wow. school was taken over by people whose houses had been bombed, and they all lived in there, so we didn't go to school anymore after that. But, hey, I'm still wow. here, and I can read and write. <laughs> you, you sure can, and I'm just, I'm kind of curious. I... I I obviously didn't live through this as you did, but when did you come over to the U.S.? Um, was it about 19... Oh, Ruth will tell... I'm, I'm terrible with dates. Ruth, what year did we come to America? Uh, March 11th, 1984. March 11th. What time, Ruth? <laughs> uh, it was about 12.30 in the afternoon. Oh, shut up. <laughs> on Pan Am from Sydney. Lovely. White number was well, 11, I think. Pan Am 11. Oh, bless oh. her. See, I told you bless so. Bless her heart. Well, I will never forget that date. 
because that happens to be my daughter's birthday, March 11th. Oh, so um, the vegetarian was born on March 11th, 1977. So oh. I won't forget when you arrived. But you had mentioned something about piano and Ruth. You're, obviously, your childhood was much different from your mom's, and uh, sounds like she really loved the piano. And she was actually teaching at 13 years old. You were teaching piano at 13, Angie? Well, I actually obtained my teacher's degree when I was a few days short of my 14th birthday. So I literally, yeah, yeah I was 13. And I tried giving piano lessons to one or two of the local kids, but I was so impatient with them. I used to want to slam the lid down on their little hands. <laughs> I wasn't well, to be a piano teacher. No. What, what was your What was your take on that, Ruth? Oh, she wasn't teaching me. She was only thirteen. I wasn't. I wasn't born yet. <laughs> so she never well, tried. Well, you know what? That was. You're right. Yeah, but I guess tried. I was thinking fast forward. Did you did. Did that influence of playing the piano at 13, did, did it influence you to want to? Well, I was forced to, to learn to... the piano, and, you know, okay. anybody who knows anything about me, and if you force me to do something, it will be done, but it will be done slowly and grudgingly. <laughs> um, and so I, Ange knew better than to try and teach me herself. She sent me out to a, a perfectly strange, woolly little person who, ugh, she was just, she was a smelly woman. I don't think she'd ever showered. And she had Lyle stockings and brown lace-up shoes and a green self-knitted cardigan with bubbles all over it. I think she was a lesbian. I'm not quite sure. So piano is not really my favorite thing to go to. Um, so I learned it, but, you know, hated it. Oh, gosh. You know, there was a time when I did my radio show where I was in the studio, and it would have really worked for us because it was then a visual as well as an audio show, and you guys are were neighbors. Oh, my God. I, I knew that this was going to be a hilarious show because <laughs> you are both stand-up comedians to the, to the nth degree. I just... I knew that this was going to be like this. I'm, I am so entertained by. I mean, the two you know, of you. no offense to lesbians, some of my greatest friends are, but you know, just it was wholly inappropriate sitting in a room with a seven-year-old girl, sort of looking sideways at her and you know, pinching her cheeks and saying, you know, do you want to borrow my lipstick? Like, yeah, yeah. no, thanks. <laughs> I think what's that's more, another story, Marsha, for another day. I, yes, but I think what's more interesting is you could describe. What she was wearing, like it was yesterday. Yeah. Okay, and so moving on. Yeah, well. And now she smelled. Well, that's a visual that I'm going to just kind of do, she like shake like a, a somewhere a between toast and chicken dumplings all the time. It was weird. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, Ruth, you cracked me up. Um, so, so piano didn't work so much for you. But and then, did you also do ballet? Did you did you move over to the dancing sphere of life? I did. I. Um, Got a scholarship to go to the Royal Ballet School in Chester, close to us, and I was really rather good at it. My Auntie May, who was my mom's older sister, um, she was a ballet dancer, and um, my Aunt Joan was a ballroom dancer, and so it sort of, you know, ran in the family like wooden legs, but I sort of got, you know, a taste for it, and went and did the whole thing, and unfortunately, by my 12th birthday, I hit five foot nine, and they said, see ya, so um, I was just too tall, threw me out, yep, there weren't any boys who wanted to try to tackle to lift me, you know, (laughs) there still aren't, 
Yeah, good luck now. You need a block and tackle, mate. But, you know, um, so in those days, yeah, you were... unfortunately, that was the end of my ballet career. But I still have the, the two completely dead um, second toes to, to show for it because when you, they put you on point at a very young age, it sort of kills the nose in the, in the end of your toes. So but especially now I'm old, you've definitely got no feeling in those two toes, but that's okay. That's and so you were five nine. Is that what you said? You were five nine. On my twelfth birthday, yeah. By my twelfth birthday. Oh my five. God! At twelve years mm-hmm. old. Wow. Yeah, I so know. You it was, can't and, and also, I had the old um, the old Mae West working. So <laughs> unfortunately, they they only like flat chested ballet dancers. I was definitely more in the Pamela Anderson model at that point. So they were like, "Up, oh, you got to go. Too no, tall, boobs, out of here." She's not gonna. She's not gonna work. Wow. Yeah, I, I, you probably can't imagine what it's like being 12 years old and wishing you were five feet tall. So I guess you know it's, it's all relative, right? Uh, yep, I was probably absolutely. the shortest in my class. <laughs> so Angie, how, yep. how old were you when you started your first job, your actual paid job, and, and what did you do? I was 14, and I was an, what was jokingly called an office junior which relates to dog's body in, in my vernacular. Um, I was 14. I worked at the Automatic Telephone and Electric Company in Edge Lane, Liverpool. My sister worked there, and she spoke for me and got me a job. So I just started as the office junior, which meant you made the tea for everybody. You cleared up. You ran messages. You uh, emptied the waste bins into a, a big sort of trash container, you went to other departments on messages to take this. There was one thing, one day they said to me, uh, take this envelope to Joe Egg in the engineering department. <clears throat> so uh, you, you'll easily recognize him. He wears a brown um, overcoat, a brown uh, coat overall, and uh, he's at the head of the top bench. So I trundled in there with the envelope and said, hello, Mr. Egg. They sent me with this envelope for you. Mr. Egg, Joe Egg. He was bald as a coot. That's why they called him Joe Egg. <laughs> but not officially. Oh, God. No. I, I, I can. Well, but, you know, I, I'm thinking about what you've been saying while we've been speaking. At 14 years old, I was about to say, why weren't you in school? Well, you already told us. You stopped your education. Well, you finished so school you, at 14 in those days. I left school officially uh-huh. at 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, most people really started at five, but I didn't start till six because I was always ill. I had bronchitis and pneumonia every winter. So I was a real uh-huh. whinging, coughing, spitting little thing. So I started oh, at six. I was done by 11. <laughs> wow. So, uh, but was that, was that, well, seriously, um, how well, else would I know what year Rubber Soul um, was recorded? Um, so let me ask you this. Did that, experience of being that junior office person did that sort of put you on the track for like I'm getting the heck out of Dodge did that did that make you feel like I don't always want to live here um well it was having to take three different trams to get to work that bothered me most it took me about an hour and a half to get there and uh, in the winter weather it wasn't very good so I started reading the Liverpool Echo and looking for jobs and I found a similar position called, at a place called Littlewoods Pools, which was a gambling company where people could forecast the, the winnings of the various football teams. 
and post these things in. So I got myself a job as a junior at Littlewoods Pools, which is a step up, and they had a commercial training school. And they said, would you like to learn to type and shorthand and bookkeeping? Oh, yes, please. So I did that a couple of times a week and qualified to be able to move up to be a secretary. And it went on from there. And I'm still doing it, still filing, still filing after all these years. That's, I, I, you know, it's, it's, an, it's just what you're comfortable with. It's, it feels very natural, and I understand mm. that I'm the, I am the same way. I, it's not an effort. It's just part of who you are. Oh, no, no, it's um, just routine. Yes, yes, exactly. So, Ruth, you mentioned the piano. You mentioned yep. the dancing. Were you, were you also a singer? I presume you yes. were. Yes, I mean, my first job in that world was at 16, uh, I was hired before Macy's was Macy's. It used to be called Gimbal's. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I do. Gimbal's department store, for some weird reason, I don't know, they heard about, I had a dance troupe. So when um, Jim died in March of 1976, I was just a month past my 16th birthday, and we had to, you know, he he wasn't a rich man, so there was nothing to leave. So we had to regroup very quickly, scramble, um, get jobs, do whatever we could to, you know, stay in, uh, get a roof over our head, rent an apartment, find a place to live. And so one of the things that I had learned through going to a place called the Northwest Stage School, which, funnily enough, it was run by Jeremy and Linda Robinson and their mum, Penny Robinson, who was one of Fred Astaire's direct students. She had flown over to the United States in the 50s and learned tap from Fred in one of his private uh, classes. I think he used to teach at Morolandis over in the Valley. Anyway, so they taught me to dance, and one of the peripatetic teachers that came in, uh, another Wirral uh, lad from near Liverpool was Nigel Lithgow, who was, you know, so you think you can oh, dance, American Idol, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yep. And we're still, it's funny, Nigel lives here now. We're still friends to this day. We still, you know, see each other at charity events, and um, we've done nice. stuff for him with our 360 cameras. He's got his jobs on American Idol for our production company. So back in those days, you know, I learned the whole choreography thing and how to, um, dancing is one thing, but how teaching people en masse how to move as one organism is is another learned skill. And so I learned it at the, the Northwest Stage School. And fast forward to the summer of 76, Gimbal's was showing its um, fall collection down in London for the first time, and they wanted a choreographer to choreograph their models uh, to just, you know, teach them how to walk. I also went to the CoverGirl Modeling School and got my model teacher's diploma certificate, whatever. I think I was 15 or 16. And so um, Gimbal's hired me, and my crazy idea was, because it was glam rock and it was Sweet and Slade and Mark Bolin and all of those, you know, glittery bands, um, I put David Bowie's sort of silver platform ankle boots on these women wearing all these um, business suits, like pinstripe midi skirts and suits and things, and crazy hair and neon makeup. And we put the fashion show on to, like, David Bowie music and all the, all the stuff of the time, the mid-'70s. And it made quite a splash. It got, you know, the, the fashion papers and the society papers and the national paper press made a fuss out of it. And so I started a, a dance troupe um, called Talent. And they were – it was kind of – the idea was like the Blue Man group, so that if if a couple of my girls weren't available – 
I had 12 girls at any given time who knew the routine. So we would go up for variety shows and nightclubs and comedy acts. I mean, in those days, you had an opening act. And so what better Mm -hmm. than three cute 16- to 18-year-old girls dancing to the music of the day for 15 minutes to warm the audience up? So I did that for a while and then eventually got into um, writing lyrics and singing and songwriting, but not actually not until... I was about 21 when, or 23, I'm sorry, when we moved to Sydney, Australia. I had a boyfriend who lost his mind, went crazy, and um, kind of started stalking us. So we did, we hightailed it out of our jobs and flat in London and went to stay with dear family friends, the Crawfords in Sydney. And uh, I started writing songs down there. I got a couple picked up by Australian artists on Bell Records, did okay. And then really just kind of got into it. You know, I was never intending to go into music because why try and you know beat god at his own game right but it just sort of Mm -hmm. happened that way and um fast forward to 1988 i met a lovely german not the one i'm married to now but another lovely one that i was married to (laughs) that we're still friends and moved to munich got a record deal with bmg we i used to call them the big mean germans behind their back because the contract was horrible (laughs) and um made an album that got released in oh vietnam turkey germany austria switzerland russia lithuania all kinds of crazy places korea don't forget korea Uh, and korea yes exactly and um i still have my own cassettes actually i've just had to buy a machine to try and record my own cassettes back because they did a special limited edition on cassette and so yeah i wrote songs for other people made a one and only album mine was the last album ever to be pressed in Gütersloh in germany on the bmg vinyl plant before vinyl came back again recently um yeah a bunch of tv shows toured russia lithuania latvia siberia siberia armenia sold a few million concert tickets over a nine-year period donated all the money to the armenian earthquake relief fund and that was that story. So I'm curious about something then. When when you were singing, were you a solo artist? Were you part of a group? Huh? Yeah, no. Solo. When, when you were, Ruth McCartney, you can you find me solo. on iTunes. Yep. And were you singing in what language? In, in English. I did a single in Russian, and I used to do lots of background sessions for friends uh, in Germany on their German-speaking albums. So I used to sing but not under my own name. I was just, you know, in the in the background uh, chorus, background yeah. choir in German. So I sang in Russian, German, and, and English, but my, my album, um, I Will Always Remember You, released on BMG Jupiter, was in English. And it's funny, the, the title song, which is a, it's a ballad, and everybody says, oh, what a lovely song. I will always remember you for giving my heart this freedom, holding me so tight. Everyone thinks it's a love song, but I wrote it for Jimmy Mack. I wrote it for my dad. And it's funny how it translates, no. and, and most people think it's a romantic love song, and I say to them, well, no, it is a love song, but it's to a man who saved my life, you know. That's so interesting. You know, um, you just referred to your dad as Jimmy Mack, and I know that your yeah. mom calls you Ruthie, and um, it's it's lovely. It's it's a, it's a lovely life that you've lived, and and I know you're grateful for it, and I know that... Oh, yeah. Just by being in your company, um, both that first day when we met on Fourth of July, and then over at your home together, there is there is an essence about both of you that just it's like a magnet. You just draw people mm-hmm. in, and it's and it, but it's it's genuine. It's not fake. It's no. it's absolutely 
genuine and it, it makes you just so um, delightful to be around. And, and that's, and so I think for you to you know, write being, a, being British, I think it's, you, especially as women, you, you're sort of taught to be, um, I won't say regal because that's posh, but you're taught to be like a swan, you know, floating on a gorgeous lake. The, it, it all looks great on top, but the, the real panic's going on underneath, you know, the paddling like, to stay afloat. Yeah. It's like ducks, isn't it, on a pond? Yeah, yes. ducks and swans, same thing. Yeah. So, that's, um, that's, that's, that's interesting. But birds yeah, prefer the flock about, together, you know. That, that's true. Uh, and listen, and any time you want to belt a, a tune out, trust me, I obviously I don't have any royal musical royalties. And if I did, and I was play, if I did, if I played any music in our background, um, this show would not be able to be broadcast. I know. With the same so with, with Angie's uh, weekly T Flix Tuesdays Facebook Live, we've had some amazing musicians come on, um, and one of them, Lawrence Gowan, who's the lead singer with Styx. He composed a little um, parody on Maybe I'm Amazed with new lyrics just for Angie and sang it, and Facebook took it down. And I had to fight them to say, well, this is a parody, and parody is covered by copyright law. Finally, they put it back up. But, you know, and I get it. I mean, my husband's a musician. I get it. And I get right. it, too. We, we, need to, we need to get creative individuals paid. You can't expect that people will just make music and movies forever for nothing and, you know, live under a bridge just doesn't right. work that way right uh, and, I, and i do get that but i i remember when i was at your house um it was hard not to break into music <laughs> oh, at any yeah. given moment and not yep, that i can sing it. but i mean certainly in the car but um you know not on a microphone but uh, i music to me is just a language of its own just like dance you know just yep. like film or any of those yep. mediums um but there's just a there's a unifying there's something unifying about music whether somebody loves the classics or they love opera or they love country or they love hip hop whatever that might be but when you when you first start listening to music as a teenager and maybe even before then this is what I grew up with you guys I grew up with American Bandstand I grew up with Oh Grace Clark Yes. And in my family room, we had a sliding glass door. And in the evening, that door became a gigantic mirror. And then you'd put on Dick Clark, and then you would try to teach yourself how to do the stroll or mm-hmm. how to do the twist or how to do the splash or how to do the monkey. And you knew all of the songs that went along with them if it was, if it was important to you. And we Ooh. had terrific radio stations back in those days. And... I had a transistor radio that I listened to, you know, and, and KRLA and KHJ and the TV, the record stations, you know, the, the radio stations that were part of our youth. We even had yep. a band. We talked about this, Angie. We had a band that went to my high school, the Turtles. They were a no-name band when we were in high school. They were called the Crossfires. They clearly became more than the Crossfires as life proceeded, and I don't know. Music is just something that's in my soul. You either really love it. My steering wheel. I tell people my steering wheel is like my 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 drum set. I can't not tap my my steering wheel when I'm driving down the street. It's just what goes with the music. I just have to find it. Um, but but I want right. to switch gears now, and I, I want to talk about some of the current things that you guys are doing because it's really it's it's really remarkable. 
And Ruth, let, well, I want to start with you regarding this, and that is, how did how did you first become involved with the internet and web programming code? How, how did that start for you? What was the beginnings of that? Well, we were living in Nashville, Tennessee, after the Northridge earthquake. We lost uh, the rental home we were living in suffered a great amount of damage, and most of our stuff got you know piled on or broken or smashed to bits. And um, Angie had a job at USA Today then, and which is Gannett Newspapers, and they had an affiliate um, in the ten- in Tennessee, which is a state newspaper published in Nashville called the Tennessean, where incidentally. Um, Former Vice President Al Gore was a correspondent photographer. He photographed the Vietnam War and all kinds of stuff. So it came with quite a quite a Tony reputation. She accepted a transfer. Um, my husband Martin, his learned profession was um, an import-export forwarding agent when he was in Germany, because his grand his parents and granddad always used to say, "You get yourself a profession. This musicianship, you know, it's never going to pay." And so he. Um, he learned that. He got a job at BNA at Nashville, and I just went along and thought, well, I'll find a job somewhere, as I did, and uh, we went to Nashville. So one of the introductions that was made um, was a guy called Brian Cadd, who is an amazing Australian legend. He's sort of he's filled in. He's a keyboard player and a singer, and he's been in every band in Australia in the 70s and 80s. He's sort of the, oh, I don't know. He, he Neil Young. He's like a Neil Young yeah. or, or a Keith Richards. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be alive, but he is. Anyway, so he <laughs> was living in Nashville, and a friend of ours introduced us and said, oh, you guys could, should write some songs together. You've both got a sick sense of humor. So I went to Brian's house one morning in Franklin, Tennessee, in my old uh, beat-up Cadillac called Priscilla, uh, which which had, it was a brown Cadillac, but it had a green hood, a blue... Um, <laughs> boot, a trunk roof, and one beaten up door that was just permanently glued shut. So I show up in my $200 Cadillac <laughs> and, uh, to this mansion in Franklin. And we can't write songs because Brian's uh, wife is having the carpets cleaned. So he says, oh, mate, he says, let's, let's go to the local uh, Chili's is having, a, is having a, let's go for a coffee, he said. So off we go mm-hmm. in, in his car for a coffee. And he takes us to Chili's, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know Chili's did coffee. Well, they do, and it was Irish coffee. And so we sat there and, you know, got to know each other and had a couple of Irish coffees and then took a taxi back to his house and tried to sit and write a song Well, after a couple of Irish coffees and a lot of yakking, not much songwriting got done. But he switched on his computer and he said, oh, mate, he says, there's this thing in here called a Yahoo. It's, I, I don't know how I got it. It's not a virus. But if you get the Yahoo in your computer and you click on it, you've got to buy one of these machines and plug it in the wall. you got to take your fax machine out and plug it in there. And he says it makes a weird noise like a boomerang, like this ba-doing, ba-doing, ba-doing. And once the boomerang's done, it's like a huge library book, mate. He says there's all these pages and they're all connected and they're all over the world. It's amazing. And that was how the internet was explained to me. So after several Irish coffees by an Australian. So on the um, – then I, you know, I got a taxi home, went back from my car the next day, stopped at the Davidson County Library and ordered – I discovered this thing was called the Internet, and it was programmed in a language called HTML, which is not how to meet ladies. It's hypertext markup language. And so there were only 22 books in ladies. America in existence about HTML which the, the Tennesseans decided was HTML, which I thought was hilarious. 
I ordered the 22 <laughs> books. They got them from all over the country. Three weeks later, they arrived. My husband and I checked them out for the three weeks on our library card you were allowed to and taught ourselves code <laughs> and started an internet programming company in our spare bedroom in Deerfield in Nashville, Tennessee, as you do. How to meet, what was it? How to meet ladies, HTML? Yeah, if you go on McCartney.com in the T-shirt shop section, there's there's one that says, I know HTML, how to meet ladies. <laughs> oh, you, you are just I told people that they were going to enjoy this this show, and I, I am thoroughly enjoying it, I must just say. So there's your How to Meet Ladies beginning. I'm never going to look at that again and not think of that. HTML, uh, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty No, that's actually, pretty I saw that T-shirt on somebody in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'd gone to give a speech at the Moravian University about big data and how Uncle Sam – this is five years ago, by the way – about how uh-huh. – um, Google and Yahoo and all those people, not Yahoo, Google and, and Bing and Microsoft and Apple and, you know, they're all spying on us. And everybody thought I was out of my mind five years ago. And now, of course, since the whole Cambridge Analytica mess, everybody knows that I was not quite as mad as they thought I was. And we yeah. actually, after a horrendous, like, 21-hour journey to get from here to Bethlehem, we landed at, oh, I don't know, 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning, and it was the Halloween parade the day before I was giving my speech, and one guy was, you know, in the Halloween parade as an internet programmer, and his T-shirt said, I know HTML, and on the back it said, how to meet ladies. So I thought, I'm stealing that. I'm making a T-shirt. So, no, no kidding. You go kidding. to you can buy that very T-shirt. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, speaking of, of books and, and music and all of the different things we've talked about, Angie there, I don't yep. think grass grows underneath your feet. So you've, you've written one book. You're working on your second book. But let's tell Actually let's finished tell it yesterday, Marsha. Finished it oh, last night. Con- congratulations Finally. to you. Yeah. Let's, tell, let's tell the listeners about your first book. What's the name of your first book? My first one is called My Long and Winding Road. And the subtitle is The First 82.9 Years of My Life. So we published it just as I was about turning 83, which is six years ago. I'm 89 now. And it was just, you know, life from the ground up, being born in Liverpool and the air raid shelters and the jobs that took me around the world, my my marriages, the whole Beatle business, and how uh, I made one or two bad moves. After my husband died, I went into business with somebody with whom I should not have gone into business but we'll draw a veil over that. I don't even want to talk about it. Lost everything, okay. home, macabre, a lot of my friends. and yep. mm, So Ruth and I actually picked up the pieces and went to our dear friends in Australia and uh, did various things, you know, came back, started again, and uh, we keep on doing that, don't we? <laughs> so that well, so was what the first the name book was what, about. And what's the, name, what's, the name you just, what's the name of the book you just finished? I finished Your Mother Should Know, and oh boy, should she. <laughs> Your mother <laughs> should know. And it's just about the ensuing five, six years and how how many more things have happened, you know, with, uh, oh, big data and, uh, uh, oh, all sorts of wonderful things, uh, artificial intelligence and, oh, all kinds of stuff. Terrific. So, uh, Gosh, congratulations, mm-hmm. Angie. So yeah. how how can people um, find your books if they if they well, want to the buy? One, I know yeah. that 
Yes, the first the one. The first one they can buy on my uh, website, which is mrsmccartneysteas.com. Mm-hmm. And there's a shop in there where you can buy all the teas. We have 11 flavors of organic tea. And the book is in there as well. So if people order right. it from there, the order comes to me, and I can personally autograph them and mail them out. Oh, how lovely. And the lovely. second one will be the same eventually. But that's going to it's take a couple of a, months by the, the time everything's sorted it's out. such a publisher. great picture of you. Angie, I'm I'm looking at your website right now, and just for oh. those of you, and I'll make sure that I put this into my blog as Thank well. You. But it is Mrs. McCartney's, and that's McCartney's with an S, T's with yes. an S dot com, and that's right. um, and you and do a do shoppy, tea, a and you, in there where you can order yes, things, there's yeah. a sh- absolutely, it's it's a really cool site, and yeah. um, and you know I wanna I wanna keep my eye on the time and so why don't we while we're just talking about your teas why don't we also let people know that you also do have um a uh, a site which is which is mrs mccartney's wines.com that's and right yes. I, I, oh gosh andy so i clicked on that this morning that yes. that website is so cool it and is, i clicked on that this morning Oh, gosh, mm-hmm. a shout-out to Martin. So on yes. that MrsMcCartney'sWines.com, there's yes. a tab called Video, Law- Video Lounge. Lounge, which is That's where your right. teeth click on that, you can see are. a lot of episodes yep. that we've done on Facebook. Exactly. And, and I yourself. Had the, exactly. But yeah. there are just some – you just – I ended up listening to um, um, Blackbird. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And and it was it was a story about Edie. It was a story about yep. Paul's oh, mom, mom and how she was passing and how there was a blackbird. And then you're starting mm-hmm. to listen to that song. I have goosebumps just talking about it. Your <laughs> websites are really fabulous, and I so encourage everybody to to visit that because they, they really are great. And Thank you. I think what I. I think what I'd like to spend some time on now, because I want to, I want to make sure that we talk about this because it's really a big deal, and and I know you can both talk about this because I don't know what, what do you give yourself like five hours to sleep, whether you need it or not. Let's sleep. We're done. I, I yep. don't know how you manage your lives, but you just came back from a huge event, and yes. I would really like to hear about around the world in ten thousand bites. Yes, I'll leave that to Ruth because she was more hands-on. I was more the the script girl and the background person on that. Okay. So let's take it away, Ruth. So um, a dear friend of ours, David Skinner, who is uh, his winery, Clear Creek Winery in Kima, Texas, makes Mrs. McCartney's wines. And they're not wines like you would typically think. So they are dessert wines and cocktail mixes. So we have Maharishi Peach, Strawberry Fields, Abbey Road Apple, uh, Blackbird Blackberry and Blue Jay Blueberry, which are all sort of, you know, Liverpool-y, Beatle-y titles. Um, and they in part benefit the Linda McCartney Breast Cancer Research Fund at the Royal Liverpool Hospital in the UK. Lovely. And so we met him uh, in doing our Dinner with the McCartneys, which is part of our events package. If you go to our company's website, which is McCartneyMultimedia.com, Mm-hmm. Um, there's a tab there that's our brands and live shows, so you can see some of the live live stuff that we do. Well, we were down in Kima, Texas doing a show. We'd been there three days staying at his bed and breakfast, the Clipper House Inn, 
And I said to David, what's that huge tall building in between the bed and breakfast and the restaurant? And he said, oh, that's my winery. I said, hang on. I've been here three days, and you've got the keys to a winery. When were you going to share that information? Never. Yeah. (laughs) So um, we went to see his winery. We talked about our tea flavors and how they corresponded with some of his wines in production. And we started the wine thing. So fast forward to about a year ago, he had this crazy idea I want to do, I want to take people on a culinary journey around the world in one night without leaving their seat. So he and um, another chef from Arizona called David Duarte put together the concept. He created the skeleton outline of the website, and then my husband and I filled it all in, and it's around the world in 10,000bytes.com. I know it's long, but it's worth it when you get there. And... um, that's what we do. I mean, we build brands, we build websites, we build stories, we build logos. We have a video division that creates vid- video. We represent a couple of great young directors, so that's McCartneyStudios.com. And so 10,000 Bytes was born, and it just happened two weeks ago in Houston, Texas, at the Houston Museum of Natural Science in the dinosaur um, hall, the Moravian uh, wing, amongst the dinosaurs. And they served uh, 101 course dinner to 120 people. So it was actually around the world in 12,120 bites. And the joke was at the end of I I was one of the last people to speak, and it was like quarter to one in the morning because everybody was eating so slowly. But these courses were, it was 10 plates, 10 countries, 10 bites on each plate. And they were only a half ounce each, but if you do the math, it's 50 ounces of food. Well, I don't know if you've ever eaten a 50-ounce steak, but I have not. And so yeah. people were looking at this miniaturized, gorgeous food. If you look on Instagram, it's at 10,000 bites. And they were like, oh, I can do that. So they went headlong in. They started chowing in. They were eating. They were hungry. They were drinking their two ounces of Sarah Francis wine and then their two ounces of water and blah, blah, blah. By the end of the night, they slowed down. So the poor chefs were, you know, late, having to be late getting the food out. And so I stood up at quarter to one in the morning and said, I had this whole speech written, but fortunately for you, I'm not going to give it because, A, I don't want to make you late for church, and, B, I don't want to <laughs> delay your drive through McDonald's on the way home. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> as if anyone could eat oh, another morsel. And oh, they served, um, as the dessert wine, Mrs. McCartney's Blackbird Blackberry, and I told them the story about how the song Blackbird Singing in the Dead of Night was inspired mm-hmm. by my grandmother Edith so it was it's an amazing feat that he pulled off um no injuries no broken plates 120 really satisfied gourmands and 45 chefs from 10 countries all over the world and we raised money for the James Beard Foundation Women Leadership Program as well as the um Linda McCartney Breast Cancer Fund in name of Chef Dominique Crane who is a three-star female Michelin chef from San Francisco she has Atelier Crane in San Francisco, she was unable to make the event because she is currently battling, beating breast cancer. And uh, a grand time was had by all, and it was crazy. And my husband is actually right now, he is uh, editing the trailer for the documentary. We took our McCartney Studios film crew down there, and we're making a, um, a documentary out of the whole crazy affair. Well, I'm I'm on your website as we're speaking, and it's the McCartney, just so people know, it's the McCartney uh, Multimedia 
Um, yeah, McCartney.com. And as I'm scrolling down, I can see that there's a there is definitely a video, and uh, I, I'm I'm just delighted that you were able to join me when this was just happening not that long ago, and it's yep. it's really nice that you were able to fit me in on that because it sounds like there is there are so many things that that you do and. I know just for me, when I came to your house and you made me feel so comfortable and you're both so darn cute in your matching red scarves and tops and, and <laughs> Martin is photographing us and, and you're just so comfortable to be around, I, it, it's, it's just delightful. And I, I guess what, what occurs to me is that I know that you, you never stop. So do you ever stop? Do you ever take a No, I'd actually be working in the background updating around the world in 10,000 bytes. I'm just um I'm building them a merchandise store right now while we're talking. I've actually just built out a whole t-shirt, beanie hat and tote bag store for them on the back end. <laughs> well, you know, I I'm going to be honest with you. I guess I'm I'm not to the level that you are, but I suppose I'm sort of doing the same thing. I am talking mm. to you, but I've definitely got your websites up, so I'm trying to listen, yeah. but I'm trying to read and and I'm trying to talk and do all of those things and I guess that's just sort of are in our DNA to do all of this because it, it is very exciting and everybody doesn't get these opportunities. And I want to just say this to you, Angie, because we did talk about the fact that really in the month of November, you are turning 90 years old. Correct. When I heard that, when I first met you and how we met is sort of censored, so we can't really say what, what, what drew us together because then we would definitely be kicked <laughs> off the air. But I would just say, your daughter has mentioned that you have a bit of a potty mouth, and as, as do I, but we need to know where and when we can use it. But we Absolutely. did sort of meet over, yes. we did sort of meet over a, a word that I went, really? I use that word. Um, yep. And I just, I find you so just so full of life and to me honestly that's very inspiring i'm i Thank have an you. incredible weekend coming up for me personally you're you're seeing your big birthday coming up in november i'm i'm changing to a new decade next month as well and yes. i'm one of those people just just like you Rizzi, where i'm i'm involved in a lot of different things and one of the things that i've been involved with in my life our class reunions. And while I was definitely, most definitely not one of those rah-rah girls in school, I was not the cheerleader. I was not in the all-smart classes. I did not belong to all the clubs. I was not social. I did have a boyfriend, so I got to go to a dance now and then. But I was not that person that you think of that would be involved in reunions. But I have become that person because I'm a bit of a control freak and well, that's no. true, and that's true. And I said, so why do I need a committee? If I know that emails need to be sent, I don't have to wonder if you sent it. I know they got sent. So yep. for the last 25 years or thereabouts, I have been planning all of our class reunions, and you have them every five years, and, and every once in a while I add in. So five Ooh. years ago, in 19, five years ago with that 2014, we were all turning 65, and this was before our 50-year class reunion, and I decided to have a Medicare reunion. I thought this would be funny, so we did. 
Well, this weekend I have planned for another reunion because the majority of my classmates were all born in 1949, which makes us moving into that next decade that's number I don't like to say, but hey, hey it, beats the, it beats the alternative, right? And Absolutely. so this weekend I'm going to be gathering with my friends. We'll be playing music. We'll be, we'll be pretending like we're standing at our lockers talking about boys or whatever it is that we do, because we grew up in an era that was very interesting. You guys were on your side of the pond. On my side of the pond in the 60s, we lived through assassinations. We, yeah. we lost a president. We, we were teenagers. We, I was in junior high school when Kennedy was assassinated. But we also shared our love of music. Now, granted, on the West Coast, we were into surfing music. You know, we had the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean and all of that surfing type of music. And we certainly listened to Motown. But when the invasion came, and not just the men, you know, Petula Clark and, and the women that also joined, Dusty Springfield, all the, the women that came over from England, that really shaped our youth. We grew up listening to that music and it was a positive time even though perhaps your parents were worried about building a bomb shelter you know you, perhaps mm -hmm. you were worried that something terrible and drastic could possibly happen to you in your youth but we lived through it and we and, and I think that music played such a huge part of that so that's just a little bit about me so moving forward what's the next big project you've got going you've got your book coming out uh, Angie, what about for you, Ruthie? What's the next big thing coming out for you? Well, I, the, the the next big thing is, you know, just always trying to not necessarily a project, although the Ten Thousand Bytes documentary is, you know, taking up quite a bit of uh, effort and time. But it's just always trying to stay on top of, you know, technology and be useful to people, and especially women in business, and just be, you know, mm -hmm. be there to. Listen, learn, help, um, just, you know, develop great brands and stories and websites and create content that makes the Internet a nicer place and not a darker place. So that's just a, a sort of an ongoing project. Um, when I get done doing stuff for other people, which probably hopefully is never, then I might think about doing another project for me. But, you know, I've been a pop star. I've had a record out. I've had... A, a tour of all these crazy places, including Siberia. Um, I've done a lot of stuff, and I'm just I'm in service of other people at the moment. And there'll come a time when I can breathe and do a project for me. Write a book. Yeah, I'm not bad. There you go. Nobody I, knows who I am. Who, who cares? Oh, they will. Oh please! Oh please! I, I, no, I find I'm not that impossible to believe. I, it's, it's a question of no. marketing. You know, I am not a household name. I mean. It's a lot of effort to write a book, and it's got a huge social media following and a recognition. And you know, amongst the Beatle community, people revere her and know who hmm. she is. And she's the the last living Beatle uh, of that person of that generation as a step parent. Yes. But you know, I'm just I don't know. I'm one of those talking heads and one of one of a million people who could show up at Beatle Fest and tell stories. So I just I don't know. I mean, I, I think it'll probably be something to do with cooking and food and charity Great. and i haven't i haven't found it yet it'll be, it's there but it'll it'll find me that's the way the universe works so when you need to just regroup do you guys practice yoga do you how do you no. just like yeah we open a bottle of wine and sit on the couches there you go 
yoga, and all talk at the same time. <laughs> yoga involves getting down on the floor, and then there's that whole question of getting up again. <laughs> so so let me let me ha- so let me tell you one thing about this as we're closing out this show. Yes, there is a lot about positioning and flow and all of that stuff in yoga. What I've taken from it, and I mean I've really taken from it, is the mindful side of that and the breathing side of that. Right. And when breathing, my anxiety meter yeah. is at, oh, gosh, you know, yeah, that, that, but that deep breathing, you know about this, uh, Ruthie, because you're a singer. You know that that breath goes down to your diaphragm. I did not know that. I, I admit to that. I thought breathing stopped at about your breastbone. So now that I've oh. learned how to really take in a deep breath, hold it, and release it, that has made a mega difference for me yep. and some add a little meditation. So I don't know how you both do it, but I can just say that the energy that you both, that you just just send out into the universe is contagious. And I'm so grateful that, that Lisa uh, introduced us to one another, that, you know, it, it, it was meant to be that I sat at your table uh, it was love at first sight, and I just want to thank both of you so much for spending this hour on this, what doesn't feel like any labor to me, unless you want to call it a labor of love, because oh, I've enjoyed no, every moment, Ooh. every single moment of this, both of you. And and yes. please um, tell that lovely blonde-haired, long-haired rock star husband of yours, Ruthie, that I also said hello to him. I and sure and just and thank you and maybe you know six months or a year from now we'll do this again and and you'll you'll bring us up to date where where you've been but what Absolutely. a what a remarkable what a future you have in store and just thank you so so very much for being a part of this with me today it's been well, a pleasure thank you for doing what you do posting a positive word every day and just you know making the universe a little bit of a kinder place in in the midst of all of this yeah. divisiveness and stuff that's going on all around the world i think there just can't be enough positive people especially women so hats off to you for that yes i quite thank agree. you did you did you see that today's was, was my 1000th word yes 1000 yes. words i can't even hardly believe that myself so thank you for throwing that shout out to me. Okay. And I will let you proceed on with your day. Be safe. And you just never know when I might knock on your door because I know where you live. Oh, <laughs> so thank you. Okay. Thank okay. you so bye very bye, much. Marcia. Have a lovely bye bye. rest bye of the bye. day. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.